Hey, Lauren, do you want to hear about a good deal? But yes, Mason, I would love to. Good, because I have a deal with your name on it. Tell me more! Well, in that case, GoDaddy.com is offering the best deals of a lifetime. For only $3.59 a month for a year, you can get GoDaddy.com's economy package. Amazing! What do I get with the economy package? You get 250 gigs of bandwidth, 5 gigs of storage, and up to 500 email accounts. You can get your website up and running. I can? Yeah. When you check out, enter code MUGGLE, that's M-U-G-G-L-E, and save 10% on any order. Can you spell that again? Yeah, I can. That's M-U-G-G-L-E. Wow. Do any restrictions apply? Some restrictions apply. See site for details. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com. Today's MuggleNet podcast is brought to you by Borders. In May, thousands of Harry Potter fans descended upon New Orleans for the Phoenix Rising Conference. Borders was there to take in the sights and share a lively discussion of the series that has bewitched the world with some of Harry's most dedicated fans. Listen in to watch the action yourself. Check out the Phoenix Rising Borders book club discussion at bordersmedia.com slash Potter, or click on the Borders banner at the top of the MuggleNet page. Because Laura has a million questions that only Joe can answer, this is MuggleCast, episode 115 for October 1st, 2007. So, Laura. After Jamie and I, uh, we railed on you a little bit last week for not seeing Order of the Phoenix, didn't we? Yeah, you did. Yeah, we gave you a pretty hard time. But um, I have to say that after after last week's show, you did the responsible thing that any Mugglecaster would do, and you went and saw the movie. So, uh, just in a nutshell, what did you uh, think of it? Overall, I thought that it was done pretty well. I didn't really like the pace of it too much. I thought it went a little too quickly and not that these movies don't have to go quickly because obviously they have to cover a lot, but I thought that it lacked a lot of explanation. There was a lack of dialogue between the scenes and it really didn't help you explain what was going on from one scene to the next. Okay. And just curious, how did you manage to find it? Find what? The movie. Uh, it's still playing, actually, here a place about 45 minutes oh, really? from my house. Yeah, so awesome. movie theaters do that sometimes. They hang on to movies uh, for a while. You drove 45 minutes to see it? I did, yeah. Come nice. on. See, that's how dedicated he was. Man, Mike is just... Well, I knew what the reaction was going to be if the following <laughs> oh, week I came yeah, back of course. and I hadn't <laughs> seen it. Yeah, I had an intro all prepared just to be like, so Micah, how do you feel still not being the only MuggleCaster who hasn't seen Order of the Phoenix? <laughs> yeah, and probably the only MuggleCast listener who hasn't seen Order of the Phoenix either. Probably the only Harry Potter fan in the world, <laughs> Micah. Yeah.
why don't you give us the scoop on the past week's top Harry Potter news stories? All right, thanks, Laura. Two new audio interviews with Harry Potter movie producer David Heyman and set designer Stuart Craig have emerged online. In the first interview with Heyman, the producer discusses, among many things, why David Yates was given the director's helm for movies 5 and 6. He says that Alfonso Cuaron was given the option to do movie 4 after Prisoner of Azkaban, but was too tired, and Mike Newell the option for movie 5 after directing Goblet of Fire, but he was exhausted as well. David Yates, when approached for Half-Blood Prince after directing Order of the Phoenix, was not. In the second interview with Craig, he discusses the challenges he encountered while working on Order of the Phoenix and briefly mentions the sixth film. A trailer for the upcoming release of the Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix DVD has appeared online. You can watch it over at MuggleNet.com. The DVD will be released on December 11th in the U.S. and November 12th in the U.K. And the fifth Harry Potter film dominated the National Movie Awards, winning three of the six prizes. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix won the award for Best Family Movie. Emma Watson picked up Best Female Performance for her role as Hermione, while Daniel Radcliffe, who plays the lead, won the Best Male Performance, beating Daniel Craig from the Bond movie, Johnny Depp, and co-star Rupert Grint. Rupert had this to say about losing to Dan, Obviously, I didn't expect to win, because I think Dan deserves it more than me. The winners were picked solely on public votes. Finally, we previously told you that J.K. Rowling had agreed to donate and auction a signed set of her beloved series for Books Abroad, a charity that seeks to help to educate children worldwide by sending free school books that are carefully chosen to match the need of each school. Earlier last week, the auction on eBay closed with a winning bid at £18,200 or $37,100. The starting offer was just a mere £100. To prevent the books from being stolen, they were locked in a jail prior to the auction. Books Abroad said they currently don't have any specific use for the money in mind. That's all the news for this October 1st, 2007 edition of MuggleCast. Back to the show. Okay, thanks, Micah. Now, before we dive into some news discussion, I'd like to welcome back Kevin. You were gone for a long time. Yes, I you? was. Quite you a were long on time. Two shows. All summer. Yeah. Well. And uh, where were you? I was actually in France. Oh, but you're not there anymore, right? Not anymore. Oh, jeez. Are you sure? Because I I swear, like, when did you come back? There was no... That's just because we haven't... I haven't heard from you, man. I just I came back two weeks before the start of the semester. Wow. So... Just a little bit of background information here. Before we started recording the show, Eric was talking to Kevin as though Kevin was still in France. And it just kind of went on for a few minutes. Nobody said anything. And then finally... We actually I was let like, it go on for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. and then, I was like, Eric, do you think he's still in France? And then I was like... Because uh, we were talking about riding boats with his G-Force 8, right? Uh, off the, don't they do that, Kevin? Can, can we oh, talk sure. about this? sure. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, the, the powering boats, uh, sort of like they did in Stuart Little. Although, was that... With a fan on a video card? I think that will work. Really yeah, a fan well. on the video <laughs> Yeah. So, you were gone for a while. Eric, you haven't been on in a few episodes. No, same here. It's I been mean, a while. A couple yeah. shows, maybe three, four since um, book seven. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's good to be, it, good to be that, on. That time difference is ridiculous. It's like 16 hours, yeah. isn't it? So, but people you know, can it's, it's 17 understand hours a little now. bit why uh, it was so hard to record in the summer. 
with people in yeah. various countries and all different time zones <laughs> around the world. Uh, just a bit. Yeah. yeah. No, it is quite shocking. Um, but New Zealand, it's funny too because even if they, um, even if we did, I couldn't even get used to the uh, time change because what happened was they actually just changed over today, which uh, which which Sunday uh, they changed over and <laughs> I didn't know about it. It's obviously you know it's it's a few weeks ahead of uh, changing over. I guess you guys will change in about three weeks time, end of October, something like that. All right, so welcome back, you guys. I'm really glad to have you back on the show. Um, as we all know, recently um, the filming for Half Blood Prince commenced, and it seems that both Dan and David Yates have talked a little bit about the film. Did you guys see any of that? Yeah, the interview with David Yates was was good because he was uh, he was talking about the romantic aspect and how he intends to make it a very uh, large part of the movie. Yeah, he was talking about the movie oh, in fabulous. general, I think. Um, and I expected it to be, you know, so-so. I mean, it's six minutes long, just audio. I mean, there's a there's a sort of collage picture that, they, that you can watch while you're listening, but it's not very exciting. It doesn't really move. But um, it's a six-minute um, audio interview that, uh, let's see, it's a six-minute audio interview that uh, the guy does with David Yates, and, yeah, I actually recommend uh, checking that out, believe it or not, because that's, um, it is exciting, and it's a piece of news, and any news is Good news in the Harry Potter world today, and uh, yeah, it's really comprehensive. It's really good. Like David Yates seems to be really into making the sixth film, and he answers a lot of good questions there. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to see him direct the sixth film because I actually really liked Order of the Phoenix, and um, one of the things I'm excited about was Dan talked about how he's going to have like four days of filming for the cave scene with Michael Gambon. Yeah, and it I'm takes so Gambon a little bit of time to... to get things right, so you know, that's probably why they're doing it for four days. Whatever, yeah, Micah. No, it's true. It's true. I... I don't care what you have to say. Actually, I do. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anyway, um, but I it's, it's pretty exciting, I think, because if you look at the way that the Department of Mysteries and the Ministry was set up in the fifth film, I'm pretty excited to see how they set up the cave. Oh, the cave's just going to With the cool. same set? It's going to have, like, <laughs> pillars on the side? <laughs> like they did, well, I mean, I guess they do that on purpose. They did that, they did that for um, Chamber of Secrets, and they reused the set for Order of the Phoenix. Oh, did they? Did they really? Yeah. Which one? Oh, that you're was, right. That was a son set. of a gun. You didn't. Isn't it? You didn't recognize really? it. The yes, ministry. they did. They oh, wow. they oh, re wow. they revamped it. But if you notice, the atrium is exactly like the hallway in the uh, or the actual chamber of secrets. They must have set. just kept that set sitting there in Leaveston Studios. I do not know why they didn't do a studio tour then of the Chamber of Secrets because that would have been cool to have for the best. Three Probably years because they, they were re. Uh, Remodeling it, uh, yeah. Over for three, three years, years so. they really work yeah. hard on it. You never know, cool. though. Warner Brothers recycles. No, but there was, um, yeah. No, the interview is really good. Uh, there was a point where uh, David was talking about Harry's unrequited feelings for Bonnie, even though he means Jenny, and he corrects himself yeah. immediately afterwards. <laughs> but that was I, pretty ironic. I thought that was funny because, well, not ignorant. I thought it was funny just because there's, there, you know, I I have unrequited feelings for Bonnie as well. And I don't know, I probably speak for a lot of other people. I'm sure you do. Um, now so that we got a restraining order against her. <laughs> 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 oh, wait, that's right. Um, yeah, sorry. All right, is there anything else anybody wanted to bring up yeah. before we move on? Sorry, again, just one final point. He does, David talks about, um, he may, it's just one quote here. He says, uh, 
talks about balancing the intimate with the epic. Like, I thought that was very well-worded, balancing the intimate with the what? Yeah. He says, um, you know, along the lines of uh, you need to sort of... if As long as the characters uh, can be related to by the audience, that's what's essential. He says, you know, you can show them all sorts of spectacle, but what really matters is if um, the characters... Uh, he says that uh, in movie five, the first screening, um, when they you know showed it to the audience, he was just surprised at how much the characters meant to the audience and sort of how much you know how much dependency they sort of had on the enjoyment of the film and the meaning of the film and that sort of thing. So he's really he, he also he also mentioned that this film is largely character driven. Yes. So he's trying to build the characters as much as possible because you know people have grown up with them. Which so. is interesting. Do you think there'll be... I mean, because in Movie 5, obviously... I mean, and Micah, you know this too, now that you've seen it, but uh, Movie 5, there's sort of the, the fun scenes with Dumbledore's army where it's... Would you call those scenes character-driven? Because they're they're obviously the characters we love and know um, sort of escaping the tyranny of the character of Umbridge, but I'm just trying to distinguish whether or not the scenes will be sort of cheesy or if they'll be like really good character scenes or what, you know what sort of I mean it'd be impossible to tell but what do you think he means by character driven that's going to be so different uh, from well, I think five? it's got to be Snape I mean there's no other character that needs to be more developed I think in this movie than Snape it goes back to even Order of the Phoenix I mean he was in the Oculumency scene and really that was about it um and even that scene I felt was rushed. I mean, obviously they didn't do it the way that it, it happens in the book. It takes it, you know, it's Harry going up to Dumbledore's office right after the attack. And then two seconds later, Snape is there and Snape takes Harry down to uh, his office to do the whole scene. But I, I just feel like Snape has been underdeveloped as a character throughout the entire first five films. And I think he really needs to be developed in Half-Blood Prince because, uh, you know, Deathly Hollows. obviously, he's going to be playing another major role. He's, yeah, he's going to be playing a key role. So if they don't get it right, it's going to uh, hinder the ability of the director to direct Oh, yeah, it's one. definitely really interesting now that we've read the seventh book, seeing all the things that they've left out of the movies. And we can just sort of sit back and go, hmm, I'm wondering how you're going to fit all of this into one film so that it makes sense in the last one. See, I don't yeah. know that they'll have that problem as much. I mean, what else have they got to do besides say, look, here's another? I mean, Joe essentially just kept introducing stuff, including the elder What about ones, Lily, so. though? Well, what, what about Lily? She wasn't in the Snape's worst memory scene at all. Like, if in this, if in the seventh film, all of a sudden we see that Snape and Lily were friends, that comes out of nowhere. Okay, we'll flash back to yeah. uh, flash back to the scene in movie three. Then, when Lupin's on the uh, <laughs> surprise secret bridge um, and talks to Harry about Lily seeing <laughs> the good in people uh, that she never did before, because J.K.R. was really pleased with Quaron for that for doing that scene about Lily that was, now we see it was actually as Joe put it, preemptive for the, the seventh book. Uh, Lupin talks yeah, to Harry about it was. So they can just You remember when everybody everybody thought that that was like um, kind of Lupin's way of saying that he loved Lily or something yeah. like that? I remember everybody well, well, thought that. Quite questionable really, but um, yeah, definitely. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, Lupin and Tonks and stuff. It, it's just good. I think one of the things I liked about movie five, maybe you guys agree, uh, was the amount of actors they had in just the amount of, you know, quality actors and no matter oh, yeah, how definitely. many scenes, obviously, I mean, Lupin didn't even have much screen time at all. I mean, he's there to sort of hold 
Harry back, you know, at the end. Um, but beyond that, I think he has one line. And if I'm cor- if I remember correctly, you don't even actually see him speaking it when he says it. It's at the table or something in the in the in the headquarters. He is is, is very very low minimal screen time. Um, oh, and, yeah. You know, speaking of lines, Snape. speaking of lines, there's one line, and it's my it's really my favorite line in the entire series. Oh boy! And I'm, no, no, wait, oh, hold on. Okay, I thought you were about to. And, and I thought you were to rail on Michael Gambon again. And it wasn't no, no, no. It's in boo hoo hoo. It's in Order of the Phoenix, and I'm happy. I'm very, very happy that they kept it in. And it's actually said by Kingsley in the movie, but in the book, I think it's said by Phineas Nagellus after Dumbledore flees the yeah, office. You're right. Um, and he says, you know, you, you may not agree with everything Dumbledore does, Minister, but you got to admit the man's got style. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's that one of my favorite cool. lines in the entire series, and I'm I'm really happy that that was kept in. But b- going back to what you guys were talking about before, one thing I wanted to say was that there's no excuses now to leave out crucial plot elements because now the, all the books are out. They have all and the they information. Know going, yeah. So for Half Blood Prince to lack anything would be a disappointment. I quite agree. Um, and I mean, Alan Rickman's a great actor. I mean, come on, no, nobody denies that, and he's he's keeping active. I'm looking at his IMDb page right now. He's four movies in advance. I mean, maybe I'm just not looking at the right websites. But where are the Alan Rickman interviews that are saying, "Okay, you play evil Severus Snape"? What's going on with that? Are you excited? I mean, what's you know what's your what's your game plan? I, I I don't know much about Alan Rickman as an actor if he likes to be approached by interviews, but I'd love to read that kind of stuff. You know, all, all the time of how the adult actors um, portray their characters and are looking forward to the next installments and have been reading the books along with uh, the trio. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the only actor we do hear about is Michael Gammon, who pretty much says he can't be uh, beeped. Uh, to, to you know, to learn what it's all about. So, you know, I I just like to, I'd like oh to hear gosh. from Alan Rickman. I mean, he's he's sixty, he's sexy, and he's he's still acting, and he's 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 ready to go. I mean, come on, seriously. I just like to get an Alan Rickman interview. That's not too much. To A lot of the interviews you get with Alan Rickman though are usually related to the other stuff that he's doing, and then you know, occasionally the interviewer will throw in a question about Harry Potter. You know, you don't get anything exclusively Harry Potter with him, which hopefully will change because of his role in Half-Blood Prince. Yeah. I think they'll, they'll they might even, I mean, I, I, I think it would be pretty cool as spin on the whole sort of marketing. I mean, what else are they going to do besides spin what they've already done? Then to sort of center on Snape for the movie six uh, poster, do you reckon? Like, I mean, not 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 specifically Snape, of course, but, you know, because that would give away the identity of the Half-Blood Prince, ooh. But, um, you know, movie five was this whole kids uprising government. They, they show literally all the students that we know the main characters on the poster which looked great but are they really going to what are they going to try and fit into six more people or are they going to turn it into something different and and do sort of you know like an Alan Rickman Dumbledore uh, sort of Voldemort's past thing like like what do you think I think that's probably what they're going to focus on because if you look at the significance of Dumbledore's army in the book it didn't have a great amount of significance except for the end when Neville and Luna came back but it wasn't like that you really saw the same um, focus on that group of students as you saw in the fifth book, even. So I think that there's definitely going to be more of a focus put on the Harry Dumbledore Snape dynamic. Oh, crap, that reminds me. Uh, Kevin, do you don't remember? Because he didn't really talk about Voldemort, did he, David Heyman, in the, in the new in the interview? Uh, no, he didn't. 
Oh, that's a shame though, because he's talking about Cloves. Stephen, sorry, Stephen Cloves, um, turning in a fun script, um, and 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 sort of you know balancing romance with intrigue and spectacle. But I wonder where the whole Voldemort backstory comes into that. Just just thinking preemptively, I'm not saying just because we didn't hear it in this interview, it won't exist. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say that. But I'd like to hear about how they plan on um, doing that because that's quite a. It, it's one thing to do a Hitler allegory in a book, in a in a in a contemporary book, but then to to do it in mainstream cinema as well, you sort of got to know what you're doing. Um, and don't you uh, don't you mean David Yates? Sorry, what did I? <laughs> Heyman. <laughs> David Yates. Yes, of course. Well, there's all there's David's, David's, David's. Yeah. David and yes, yes, of course. Okay, if that's it, everybody. Everybody got their input out on the table. That was incredible. Yes. No. Maybe. Okay. Uh, yes. Let's move on to some announcements now. Uh, first of all, our fearless leader is gone once again this week. Um, he and Jamie are essentially the biggest fangirls on earth, and they just had to go spend a weekend in London to see the final performance of We Will Rock You. So, um, guys, he's abandoned you again. I think that the listeners should start complaining. No. He's editing the show, isn't he, Laura? Okay, quit trying to make me feel guilty. <laughs> Shut up, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> That's All right, why you um, but him. hopefully he'll be back. Hopefully he will be back next week, as well as Jamie, and uh, we hope that they had a good time. Uh, Also, Pickle Pack registration is now closed. The cutoff date was September 30th, so thank you to all of those who signed up. We greatly appreciate your support of the show, um, and at this point, we don't know about any sort of um, reopening date for Pickle Pack, so don't don't count on it, but don't... um, don't think that we'll never do it again. We're just not sure at this point. Um... Also, one final thing before we let Eric take the floor on a special announcement of his. Um, as everybody knows, Joe's going to be doing a reading in New York City at Carnegie Hall in the next couple of weeks. Um, as far as I know, Micah, you're going to be there, right? Well, you're going to be in the city. Right. Correct? That right. is right. I'm going to go. Uh, Kevin, you were a maybe yeah, last time I heard? still maybe. Okay. Yeah, Kevin might be there. Um, but essentially, we all decided way back in July that regardless of who got tickets and regardless of whether anybody got tickets at all, we were all going to get together in the city and hang out. Um, I'm actually very excited because I did end up with a ticket. So I will be going to the reading. Why are you laughing, Eric? I'm laughing. Okay. So you got, um, I got a golden ticket. I got a golden I did. <laughs> um, actually, listener Laura, who I, I, I think her name is an awesome name. What do you guys think? I Just don't get know. to the story. I, th- I think that ticket was meant for for a Laura, Laura, but it might not have been Laura. It might be Laura who was originally intended, and so Laura gave Laura a ticket. Everybody, and so thanks to Laura for giving Laura a ticket. Yeah, it was. I can't express how much I like how thankful I am to her because that was such a generous thing for her to do. So, thank you again, Laura. Um, I really, really appreciate that, and I'm looking forward to going to the reading. Yeah. That is really um, cool. But- so. Um, yeah. One thing that we also did talk about, I don't remember what show it was, but uh, this whole idea about having the tickets distributed in this type of a way through these raffles, contests, whatever you want to call them, I don't particularly like this. Um, 
you know, you go back to 2006 in the summer with Radio City. It was a little bit different type of atmosphere with her coming in and reading with the other two authors, and it all was going towards charity. I don't understand why something similar to that wasn't done this time, why it's such a select group of people that are going to be able to go. Because even when you're looking at you know, the three cities that she's doing, only one of those shows is for people who aren't in school. And I understand her appeal to those types of people, but she appeals to so many more that are now restricted from going. And us in particular, you know, we're not going to go out and put our names, well, except if you're Laura, we're not going to go out and submit <laughs> to these contests. <laughs> oh my gosh. No. Okay. okay. <laughs> Let me make something clear. Okay. I sent in an entry, but I did not win tickets. No. How dare you? Well, Laura did win tickets. We're not friends and, anymore. And Laura has a ticket, and MuggleCast Laura now has a ticket. I don't know. I yeah. I see a parallel. <laughs> I no, see a connection. But not poking fun at Laura, putting this all aside, I wanted to get your guys' opinions on this, because as staff members of a Harry Potter website, we're not going to go and submit to these contests, because then it would seem as if it was unfair if we came out on the other end with tickets and were essentially taking them away from somebody else. Right. Because we would never do that. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you're talking about basically the exclusivity of the event. Like, how it's become... How, how it seems like it's becoming somewhat difficult to get into these things. Well, and it's it's limited. It's such a limited audience. I mean, yes, school children are sort of... Yeah, but Mike is just saying that she appeals to so many more people. And, and if she's going to do these these sort of, you know, secluded events, how are we... How are we going to see her? Is that what you're saying, Micah? Like how, or not just how are we, but how are the majority of fans? The, um, you, but, but I think it's a matter of there's no venue big enough. You know, I mean, there's there's no, uh, and this is certainly just the first sort of wave of reading she'll be doing. I she might do an, uh, an international tour or J.K. Rowling on the Orient Express. You know, something something like that. Maybe sometime in the future. Uh, I disagree with that though, because you go back to Radio City last summer, and those shows weren't sold out. You know, there were still seats available the day of. So to think that she's going to fill up all these places, which she what. very well might if she opened it up to more people being able to come and see her. Other And, and I'm not saying it's her. It may be Scholastic no, it's, it's who's, you know, setting these guidelines and saying that this is what needs to happen. So, but I just think, you know, we, we feel... I feel left out. Like, I have no power to go ahead and to ensure that I would be going by going and purchasing a ticket. Oh, hey, hey Micah, you used to do a, a segment on this show, right? And and didn't it used to produce results for from from, from JKR? Do you think you could do you try to abandon <laughs> that, that old magic hat again? Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe get something to change? And she'll be mentioning that that uh, all, all of you uh, Yanks in America will, uh, will be going to... Uh, and uh, yeah, maybe maybe she'll pay your uh, plane fare too, Kevin from France. Because uh, I guess it's quite expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, you're not in France. Wait, well, I, I think the I think the thing is is that she can't please everyone, and they have to set a cap on the number of people. And I think J.K. Rowling enjoys more intimate events where there's fewer people, and she can interact with the fans directly. Yeah, and that's the other thing she too. doesn't she doesn't have enough time to be you know greeting 10 
20,000 fans. It's yeah, so and impossible. not to mention, everybody at this event is getting a signed book. Exactly. So, so her yeah. hand, had, her hand yeah. has to be, like, braced and well, we iced. We were and, talking about that. Yeah, she might not need to, you know, ever write again, so it wouldn't, you know, matter, but she'd still need to sign. Well, I mean, so. intimate setting, I understand what you're saying, Kevin, but the Kodak Theater in Los Angeles is not a small place. Carnegie Hall is not a small place. Right, but the the setting comes from the number of people as well. Well, I agree. I'm not saying you open it up to more people. I'm just saying allow an event where you're not restricting, you know, everybody is able to purchase tickets. When you limit it to a contest, you you know, you're not giving everybody the opportunity to go ahead and you know, it's not. I don't know. I just feel like, in a way, you're restricting people with these types of well, readings. I think I have. Well, an she's she's idea. making it. She's making it luck and not financial yeah. resources. Yeah, I mean that, that's the other thing too. I mean, when you well, get age as well. Well, when you get tickets, Micah, on that's the thing. If if something's hot, if it's a hot ticket, like we will rock you. For instance, this final show. I don't know how Andrew and Jamie got tickets, but I mean the fact is, when you get tickets for things that are that are hot ticket, what happens? Same thing with the iPhone and PlayStation Three, right? People buy them up and sell them for for five times more on eBay it's the true. next day. They and 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 it's all the 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 gamers that are not the gamers, but you know, thirty forty year old guys. Uh, who are grabbing these tickets from these <laughs> otherwise school children who have to beg their moms and dads to to put you know dip into their college fund to pay them JKR you know I, I mean it's it's not obviously that dramatic but doing it with the school randomness I'm thinking okay so if JKR wants to sort of get rid of the whole money competition because money is evil let's face it it's it's one of it's one of the one of the big evils you know um, if she wants to get rid of that she can just do this thing with schools and it's true it's 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 not necessarily it's not open by any means but but it is luck and it, and, it, and it is a raffle and, and if she can choose sort of schools in the area and say okay this one's going you know yes it, it, it would it is you know people are getting left out but I'm, I'm thinking well what would be the alternative people running uh, away with a truck full of half-blood prints and at, and holding someone at gunpoint I mean you know these things have happened in the past I think <laughs> what? I think JKR that happened. That was a real story, wasn't it? There was a gun involved and, in the Half Blood Prince. Yeah, it was a fake gun. You, you do also have to realize that thought was put into the contest. If you notice, she didn't have any. She didn't have any internet sign up. She made you send it in, and there's. I mean, just that as at least from a computer science standpoint, I know exactly what she was doing. And what she was doing, or Scholastic was doing, is making it so you couldn't submit your name multiple times under different addresses, and it makes it so that there's like a bottleneck where you actually have to sit down and write out the, you know, the submission. Because if you put it online, people will create scripts that will submit their name 10,000 times in a different way. Could you write a script for that, theoretically? Kevin? You could, absolutely. And the same thing happens with tickets online. If I can guarantee you that I will get the first ticket, or nearly the first ticket, for any event if I spend enough time coding the script to do it. 
And okay, that's saying before Kevin's we all get arrested. Away, so now we are going on to. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's by no by it's no means illegal. Yeah, it's not illegal. Oh, it's it's not totally illegal. legal. No, not at all. I'm to allowed write a to use script? it. To sign myself up for tickets online? Absolutely not. It's totally legal. But what it enables, what computers enable people to do, is manipulate the system where all of a sudden this fair competition isn't so fair anymore. So we're thinking that the fact that so many children are getting to see it, who are otherwise, you know, just school kids, might be the whole point in and of itself. It's not, you know, it's not that we're all getting uh, out, but we're, we're in the we're in the non-safe world where people cheat. And so maybe just for I mean for this event, and she did open one up to the public. Isn't is the Canada one um, going to be public as well? No, I no, I think I it's school based as well because they were. I forget the exact wording of it, um, but I believe that it's all being done through the uh, through the school system. Um, and look, I'm not saying don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a great idea how she's doing that with all the different schools. My point is, can you have one event where it's not? A contest-related event. You are able to go if you can, you know, pay your way to go. Well, you can have one event. That's the New York event, isn't it? No, that's all. Wasn't that all no, contest-based? Tickets. Yeah. Yeah, it was all contest-based. Oh, so well, and me myself, and I know a lot of the MogulNet staff aren't going to go and enter those contests for the exact same reason that I mentioned before. We don't want to disadvantage the the fans. And you don't, you don't want it to be seen as a s- sort of favoritism. So, you know, then it falls on. It's just like working for any company. You know, if you work for Major League Baseball, you're not going to enter in a contest to win tickets to the World Series. You're not allowed to do that. You know, it's against your contract or whatever. You, you know, you legally can't do that. So, I mean, it's the same thing in our place. You know, we're not going to go and enter a contest because we work for a Harry Potter fan site. Yeah. And some some of that is uh, unless you're me, in which case you did. Yeah, unless you get a girl um, with your exact <laughs> name. What what what's this other Laura's last name? Huh? Are you sure you didn't? I'm not going to. I'm not going to tell everyone her last. No, name. I didn't actually want you to. I didn't actually want you to. Okay, I was I was, I was actually like, talking no. without thinking, which is very dangerous when I do it. You had a special announcement, right, Eric? Uh, yes, I did. Now, a few of you may have heard this um, on the at the end on the tail end of last week's. Amazing episode. I haven't heard it all yet, but I know that Jamie was really funny, and I really want to listen to episode 114. But um, MuggleCast is going down under. That's right, yes. MuggleCast is coming to Australia, and we are doing two events, one in Melbourne and one in Sydney. Actually, that's strike that, cross that, reverse it. Um, Sydney first, Sydney event in Sydney, Australia, and then the Melbourne event. Um, no, it is official. We are doing these events. We've already got a Facebook group called MuggleCast hyphen down under exclamation point. Um, and that's actually just the signs not spelled out. And we have a logo, uh, which you guys might see if you're all on Facebook. Just uh, You can join the group if you're not coming, I think. It's just we'll have an event coming out as well once we know more details. Now, it is official, though. I am stressing that because before I was talking about it being preliminary, you know, sort of not completely official, but it is official. It is official. We are definitely doing a MuggleCast uh, meetup, however, because it is going to be the same weekend that you guys, the rest of MuggleCasters, are in New York City. So it's going to be the weekend of the 19th, uh, the 20th, and the 21st. 
Uh, could be either that Friday and Saturday or that Friday and Sunday. We're still working on details, but I, I do want to stress it is actually official. And so we're um, we're taking signups. We're taking um, uh, sorry. Pr- um, we're just taking RSVPs uh, just to hear back from how many people can make it um, because we're trying to finalize details with the venue and things like that. It's all a bit complicated. I'll mention it all on MogoCast.com. But um, just the only announcement, I guess, left on the shirt. Uh, I left on the shirt. <laughs> uh, sorry, thinking ahead of myself. The only announcement left to make uh, just on here quickly is um, T-shirts. Which is, I'm just happy to announce it because we haven't talked about t-shirts on the show and I just love talking about t-shirts on MogoCast. Um, okay, what's happening is the logo that you see on Facebook will be used um, to create some really amazing t-shirts which are um, actually essential to these shows. Uh, they'll be available uh, specifically by pre-order. They'll be the only way to guarantee that you get one. Um, and they'll actually be pre-ordered uh, through a website which will be available. Um, but they have the really cool kangaroo holding an iPod with um, the MogoCast Down Under sort of uh, logo thing. So um, we'll be giving more details, everything. Just check MogoCast.com. And Sydney helpers are wanted. We're still trying to... Uh, Melbourne, we've got the most response in. I'll tell you that. That's surprising, people. That's surprising. But... Um, just generally, we need, uh, if anybody's interested in helping us uh, out with Sydney, possibly like event staff type people, please just let me know. Details, com. Thank you very much. Cool. That sounds really exciting, Eric. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing how that goes. It's really taken off. Um, yeah. It sounds like it. It sounds like you've got a lot of people who are hyped up for it. So good luck with that. Um, one final announcement. It is a new month, so please be sure to vote for us on Podcast Alley. We've got to beat Keith and the girl and... <laughs> All those other yes, we've people. got to beat them up. <laughs> we have we haven't actually um, we haven't actually you know jabbed at them for a while on the show, so I thought it was appropriate. Um, so now let's move on to some of our newly named Muggle Mail. As you know, these used to be called rebuttals, but apparently Andrew decided they needed a new name. Oh God! Why doesn't he just call yeah. them like so the first- pickle whoppers <laughs> or uh, I don't know? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the first one comes from Jesse, twenty-one from Virginia. She says, Jamie read a feedback email uh, regarding the live episodes and said that the emailer hadn't left their name, but thought they were from New Jersey because they were all fangasmic about Andrew. Nope, twas me, Jesse from Virginia. Virginians love Andrew too, I promise. It must be known that the now dubbed Mrs. Sims hails from Virginia, only because Virginians aren't recognized often enough on MuggleCast. Our fault, I believe. That's why I figured I should email this response to my response. Not at all, because... I would rather not be associated with New Jersey. No, what? not at all. Love from Jesse. So, so there's going to be a rivalry between Virginia and New Jersey now, and not only did she clarify that it was Jesse from Virginia, but now she has said that we dubbed her Mrs. Sims. That's that's a very tricky way to dub yourself Mrs. I Sims. I dubbed her. Uh, I dubbed him. Well, is it her or him? Jesse? Do we know? With I'm, an I? I'm assuming that's... Jesse, J-E-S-S-I-E. Is that really going to be a guy? Oh, wait, I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to offend anybody. Okay, let's just put this out there. We are assuming because you said Mrs. So, well, we, I well, called yeah. them Mrs. Sims. So, could, okay, well, I think that they would have corrected you. Yeah, if you were wrong. I think so okay. too. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, unless they like being called Mrs. Sims. <laughs> the next one here. Hey, some people, anyway, yes. Some shout out to Virginians. Okay. Shout out to Virginians, right. everybody. We do know. Hey, hey, all sh- holla. Hall of Virginia fans. Love you all. Good night. <laughs> okay. Nice. Oh, boy. All right, Mikey, you want to read the next sure. one? Sure. The next one comes from Richard, 16, in Denver, Colorado. 
uh, about actors in movies 6 and 7. He says, Hi, I'm a big fan of the show. I started listening to it this summer while I was on vacation, and I was counting the seconds for each podcast to come out during the weeks of the Deathly Hollows hype. Anyway, I've heard a lot of stuff on the show about suggestions for actors for the future films, and I always thought that Bill Nye... Is that how you say that? Yeah. Um, who plays right. Davy Jones from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, playing Rufus Scrimgeour. I read somewhere that his th- about him considering a role in Harry Potter, joking that he was the only British actor not to be in a Harry Potter film. Well, I hope you find this interesting. Good luck with future shows, and nice job with the 12-hour podcast. So what do you guys think? <laughs> I would actually really like that. Whenever she said that, um, I don't know if you guys have seen the second, or no, not the second one, the third Pirates of the Caribbean. There's one point where you actually see Davy Jones as he appeared before he grew tentacles. And I was thinking about that somewhat in co- like in context of like what Aberforth might look like. And I really liked the way that Bill Nye looked with like the white beard or the gray beard and everything. So I think he'd be good, yeah. like looks wise at least. Scraggly and he's a great actor. So. Guy. Yeah. 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 Who likes goats? I mean, when they did that in Pirates, I didn't know why they were doing it. I mean, it was cool to look at, but um, at any rate, it's him and uh, what is it? B- uh, Bob Hoskins, we mentioned um, at the live podcast in London. And um, there was a fan who said that she heard that JKR, through an interview somewhere, said that she had a role reserved for Bob Hoskins in the seventh film, which we could now speculate might be uh, Luna's dad, Xenophilius Lovegood. Um, that's just my own personal opinion. I'm not starting a rumor, but so it's it's Bill Nye and Bob Hoskins are the two actors I think I'd like to see in Harry Potter Seven. Awesome! Yeah. That sounds really and cool. And where I would, would we really know like him that. from? Uh, I mean, Bob Hoskins. Know, uh, he played Smee in the uh, Hook in Hook with Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman and Julia Roberts. Okay. Yep. That's that's my cool. favorite movie with him in it that I've seen. But I, I think that's probably the only one that I've seen. So. <laughs> okay. Eric, do you want to read the next one? Uh, yep, sure. Let me just uh, see. I'm in Firefox, by the way. Shout out to Firefox. Okay, so this is from Alex, age 14, Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and this is a couple of questions for discussion. Message is awesome show, you guys. Just some questions I had after finishing DH for the 50th time. Somehow, I'm doubting this guy's credibility. During the final battle scene, could Harry have survived another Avada Kedavra from Voldemort, since uh, Lord Voldemort has, as Dumbledore put it, tethered Harry to life while he lives? If so, would a killing curse from someone else be unable to kill him, or would it have to be from Lord Voldemort? Um, Also, what was the difference between the beings that appeared from Harry using the Resurrection Stone and the beings that appeared during the Priori Incantatum sequence in Goblet of Fire? Thanks, and keep up the good work. Should we take the second question first? Sure. Yeah, I have more thoughts on that one, but you go for it, Eric. Um, I am just guessing uh, that the Priori Incantatum... Well, that's a good question, though. Um, just imagine... Actually, I have a long reply, so why don't you guys go first? Okay. okay. Um, I was going to say that I'm not sure that there's a difference in the actual beings. I think of the difference as more of the way of invoking them. We know that the reason Harry saw all of those and they weren't even ghosts. Dumbledore referred to them as shadows, um, was because of Priori Incantatum. Harry forced all of the previous spells in backwards order to erupt from Voldemort's wand. So, of course, we saw the last people he had killed. Um, The Resurrection Stone obviously shows you people that you love or people that are related to you who are dead. But I don't think that they're actually spirits. 
Right. If that's part of your yeah, question. Yeah, I was going to agree completely so with too, yeah. what you said, Laura. Yeah. Oh, do you think do you think they're not spirits? I don't from think From the so. resurrection stone. I mean, from... You really think they're not, though? Like, um, because they seem to have because- current knowledge. Like, Lupin and Tonks... Or Lupin said, you know, I really wish I'd like to see my son grow up. But, you know, oh, well, JKR killed me off. It's time to move yeah, on. Yeah, but I almost wondered if a lot of that came from Harry's subconscious. Like, whenever he was in the quote-unquote King's Cross area with Dumbledore, and Dumbledore said to Harry, this is all in your mind. Yeah, but uh, the Resurrection Stone isn't something imaginary. It's not like it's something that would only bring something back imaginarily to you. It was something that... I guess, I don't know, but I think it has something to do with the idea that Dumbledore said the ones who love us never truly leave us. Or was that serious? I don't remember who said that. You're right, though. You're right, though. I don't think that necessarily Lily and James trailed along behind Harry invisibly all of his years of well, life. Well, no, I mean, whether or not the spirits were... I, I guess it's kind of irrelevant to think that because, I mean, I mean, not, not what you think, but that spirits wouldn't be... Because it doesn't matter really if they're spirits or if they've been in Harry all along in a way, just because they're there to offer him guidance in ways that he wouldn't, you know, otherwise predict. Like, it doesn't matter if they exist because there is an afterlife or it doesn't matter if they exist simply because... His psyche is willing them into being, I guess, because if they are in the Resurrection Stone, then the fact is that they're there to sort of offer the char- character or whatever. Um, I was just thinking, though, I did think they were spirits. Like, out of Priori and Cantatum, it seemed like not that uh, Lily or James were trapped in Voldemort's wand forever, but, the, you know, the, the sort of thing like, you know, um, will hold him off so, sort of intelligence uh, se- seemed to be sort of a spiritual entity to me. I just remember I'm reading an R.L. Stein Goosebumps book called The Haunted School, which reminded me of, of you know, as something to do with students trapped in school after a long time, for really good reasons, probably my favorite Goosebumps book. But um, it, it just seemed to me that they were spirits, that, that they possessed sort of sentient knowledge um, that was always beyond Harry, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they weren't spirits. Hmm. But can't that be somewhat related to the idea of portraits? Like, we know that the portraits aren't really i mean they're not living people but they possess the knowledge of i was thinking that see it seems to me like the portraits are a little different because the portraits were at one time painted or created with magic to hold the personality of the person who would eventually go into them but with the resurrection stone i'm somewhat inclined to think that they were somewhat like spirits, but called by the Resurrection Stone itself. That would make sense. Where, uh, where it's not necessarily... It, with the wand, I think it may have been a little different because it was reliving... It was sort of like recounting the experiences of the wand. And just like the portraits, it picks up the personality and certain maybe vivid memories of the person that had been killed with the wand but it wasn't like Dumbledore said it was like shadows you know the shadow of the person cast at the time of their death hmm. and wasn't the I like wasn't the original story of Beetle the Bard about the resurrection stone wasn't that the uh, didn't it say something about the loved ones uh, wanting to bring loved ones back the one brother who was trying to bring uh, his cause I'm trying to think that when, when Harry turned the resurrection stone specific people appeared to him, um, which is, I guess, the same with Priory and Katatum, you know, the previous spells or whatever, but, uh, you know, Lupin appeared to him, and, and Sirius, and sort of all the people who could 
make him make his final decision whether or not he wanted to sort of go in guns a blazing or, or try and give put faith into the into the hallows like it just seemed like the specific set of loved ones were there and that those were the ones that he, he would have originally you know seen and all along after all this journey it seemed to possess more of a knowledge and more of a sort of presence than uh something that was specifically there just because it had to be or you know from priori Kadatum or a portrait or something yeah i like it it's very um, good the first part was just uh, about uh, Avada Kedavra's death cursing Harry. Um, could Harry have been... Could Harry have jumped off a cliff and survived uh, just for the mere fact that once Voldemort was in human form, his blood was tying Harry to the world? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think it was still... Um, because because you have to realize the prophecy and all that was surrounding it was given certain circumstances. Would Harry ever jump off a cliff? No. And because of that, he would, you know... He would die if he jumped off the cliff, but he would never jump off a cliff. You yeah, know it's I mean? self-fulfilling. Exactly. He's Harry Potter. That would that would suck. Yeah, it would it would be like the Sopranos ending, just cut to black. You know. Uh, anyway. Oh gosh. Yeah. All right. Uh, the next one comes from Kim, nineteen from Texas. Uh, she writes, "Hey y'all, I just wanted to add something to your last discussion about the parallels between the first and seventh books. I loved how in the first book, Hagrid and Harry rode the flying motorcycle to the Dursleys for Harry's first time, and then in the seventh, Hagrid and Harry left the Dursleys for Harry's last time on the motorcycle as well. It was a nice touch of Joe, I think. Love the show. Yeah, I didn't think about that at all." And then I saw that in the right lane. I thought that was really, really brilliant. Yeah. Kim's nice on top catch. of things. I like that a lot. Can I want to cry yeah. now? Aww. Okay, the next one comes from Bill Gabrielle, uh, 53, from Brisbane. I think that's how you say it. Brisbane? Yeah, it's Brisbane, and I think I it's Bill Gabriel. Give the man Gabriel. some masculinity here. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, Gabriel. My bad. I'm sorry. I'm a girl. I read things differently. Yeah, okay. He's, he's from Brisbane, Australia, and he writes, uh, There are seven books, the most obvious symmetry is that Voldemort attains physical form in the f- in Goblet of Fire. Up until then, he was a shadow and afterward a corporeal being. Did I say that right? Yeah, corporeal being. Yeah, something like okay. that. Nobody knows how to pronounce that word for Yeah. Me. Don't send okay. in emails. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you to everybody who sent in all of those rebuttals or muggle mail, as we now call it. Uh, this week, we'll be moving on to an all voicemail show, which we haven't done in a little while. So we're pretty excited about that. Uh, Kevin, are you ready to roll the first one? Hi, this is Elise from the Tennessee, and I was calling because I have a question about Peter Pettigrew, and I've just, I've always had a hard time understanding why he was, um, why he was sorted into Gryffindor. I just, and I thought he would redeem himself or something in, in the seventh book, but he never really did do anything, in my opinion, that sort of made, sense, made it make sense that he was in Gryffindor, so I wonder if you guys could talk about that. Thanks. Love the show. Micah, what do you think? Oh, thanks for throwing it right to me. Uh, <laughs> I think I thought I'd catch you off guard. No, no, you didn't catch me off guard. I actually have a response. So, oh well, darn. You tried. Darn, your what best. do you think? You tried your best. No, no, no. Um, I think. All right, I pass. You know, there's different forms of bravery, and I think that with Pettigrew, he was brave in a different way. It, it takes a tremendous amount of courage. Uh, I think to betray your friends and to go and do what he did. Ooh. And, uh, that's wait a dark, minute. Micah. It, it takes fear. It takes no, fear, Micah. No, no, it takes courage because, you, you know, you may not be seeing... I think 
part of what, with Pettigrew being sorted into Gryffindor, was also Joe's way of saying not every bad wizard is in Slytherin. And I think yeah. she meant to demonstrate that point. And, but I think if you look at Pettigrew in, in that aspect, when you see what he does. He's a Gryffindor. I think there is an element of courage to what he does. And it may not be courage in the good sense because people like to think about courage in the good sense all the time, but it doesn't always mm-hmm. exist that way. Or something to be, yeah. Well, I thought yep. of it a different way. Um, the way I thought of it was at the end of of book seven, Harry leaned down to, you know, Albus, was it? Hello? Yeah. And said, uh... Albus Severus. Right. <laughs> Give the kid his and little name said, back. I mean, you Joe don't necess- him, never take it away. You don't necessarily have to be sorted into a particular house. You can ask. Well, it, 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 it's that choices aren't. I mean, it, it's not final. Exactly. Based on, yeah. If yeah. Peter had found friends with people who were in Gryffindor, why? What do you think he would have said to the Sorting Hat, given that his friends all got sorted into Gryffindor? Or not even that. Let's let let's keep with his uh, let's keep with his personality. Maybe he thought all the other mean kids in Slytherin would beat him up. So he's like, "Please don't put me in there. I know I'm a rat pipsqueak, but I'll tell you what: those kids are going to beat me up. Please put me uh, in Gryffindor, which happened to be their rival. Maybe he didn't know, and so the Sorting Hat did. Exactly. So I think it's you know it's not necessarily him being brave either. It's possibly that he had asked. Um. I think I'd probably plea not enough info. Oh, on yeah, the whole of Gryffindor course. Thing. But just speculation. I, I mean, no. I, and clearly that's, I, I don't yeah. know. I don't think but, he would have asked. I don't think his will is as strong as Harry's. I don't think that, you know... It, it, I think Harry was a, s- a specific case asking to be in, in Gryffindor. You know, he he sort of willed it to happen. It was his choice. I don't think Pettigrew would have had that sort of power. Oh, you're probably true. Though, again... what. Do we know or do we not know what house Dumbledore was in? I'm sorry if I asked that stupid question. I believe he was a Gryffindor, right? Yeah, because, I mean, Dumbledore is quite questionable, isn't he, now? In, in light of Book 7, we, we question whether or not it was moral for him to do. And I'm not going to go into a rant, um, except to say that, you know, some of it is actually, um, and, and Harry questioned sort of Godric Gryffindor's, I, I don't say integrity, but Godric Gryffindor himself, uh, it was rumored uh, by Griphook that the, that he stole the sword from the goblins, you, you know, and all that sort of thing. So there's like a nefarious character or quality trait that can be, you know, in Gryffindors as well. And it just shows from, you know, writing a book with four houses, you've got to sort of make cuts and say, look, this house is this, this house is this, without actually meaning it. And, and luckily, Joe has just provided us with some different characters that are, you know, sort of uh, ambiguous to their house. They, they just don't. Well, well, yeah, either way, I think Mike is right his character was used to say, you know, Slytherin isn't the only house that produces bad wizards. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, uh, and Snape, obviously. Snape was, you know. Mm-hmm. All right, next voicemail. Hi, this is Katie Baird. I'm from Idaho. I was just listening to episode 97, kind of a long time ago, I know, but, and I was noticing how you guys were talking about how the Horcruxes and how you thought Tom Riddle could have made a Horcrux from Running Myrtle's death because he sent the Basilisk and whether it was a malicious intent or the actual killing. I don't think Tom Riddle actually sent the Basilisk to kill 
Moaning Myrtle. It was by sheer happenstance that she was in the bathroom at the same time that the Baskerville was sent out to probably harm or stun some or petrify someone else. I was just wanting to write your comments on that because I don't think he really sent that to her. But I do think it's the actual killing that has to do with the horcrux. Anyways, I love the show. I just recently started listening. It's a favorite of mine now. Okay, <laughs> thanks. Bye. That's awesome. Yeah, I that's, think that's, that's a very nice. good point. New listener. So I think it would follow then that he didn't make a horcrux with the killing. Uh, according to her, because she thinks it was just an accident that he killed Morning Myrtle in the first place. And I think that's probably right, given Myrtle's account in book two. See, yeah, but see, the thing is, is that I don't think, I think he could have made a horcrux with it because he had sent the basilisk out, which was with malicious intent. Whether it killed her by accident or not, it doesn't matter. It still killed her with his order to go out into the school. Um, That's like saying... Uh, no, that's not like saying... I'm not sure I agree with it, that. It's though. sort of like saying, I'm going to set up a gun so that if anyone pulls this door handle, the gun is going to go off and fire at them, right? And then when your good friend opens the door handle and pulls it and gets killed from the gun... Dude! It's still... Have you been watching Saw? It's still... Have you, you, no, have but, but what I'm saying... La- ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, Saw 4, October 26th, don't go see it, okay? But, but what I'm saying dead. is that perhaps your intention was a thief kept breaking into your house and, you know, doing something. But the intent... You set up the gun knowing that it could hurt someone. Well, look, just like he days, sent out the basilisk knowing it could easily kill I can kill tell someone. you're in a philosophy class right now. <laughs> Kevin, remember these days uh if you if you if a thief breaks into your uh thing and gets hurt, you can he can actually sue you. Yes. So this actually happened. Th- this actually happened. It's Oh god, where, do you know the story? Where someone actually set up a gun because a thief kept breaking into his summer house and it ended up seriously no it ended up seriously hurting the thief and he sued and got arrested the uh, guy who set up the gun but wow now yeah. that's a little bit messed Back up i was going to say a hard to go out to the family but, but what like, i'm saying is that the intent of doing sending out the basilisk was knowing all the consequences surrounding it oh yeah no, I agree okay. with that, but I don't necessarily think he initially was going to release the Basilisk to create a Horcrux. I think he was doing it just to kill all the people who weren't pure blood. And so, uh, you know, I th- I agree with what the person who sent in the voicemail said. I think that it was just an unintentional death. I don't think that he created a Horcrux out of mourning, uh, Moaning Myrtle. I think... She just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, hasn't uh, I think hasn't J.K. Rowling said which Horcruxes were created from which people? I wish. No, I could. Um, I mean, I would. I would assume. I mean, I just don't remember. But I would assume that Tom Riddle at that point was interested in finding out all the secrets as much as he could, as he, you know, to quote about Salazar Slytherin and. Somehow he found the chamber. God, I'd like to yeah. know. Actually, Laura, that's but um, that's your uh, and therefore what? not you know as much about horcruxes that's your question Do, don't you get to ask a question or is it select people get to ask uh, everybody a does get to submit a question and then they select a certain uh, amount of them just like they question. did that's your question ask jk rowling who died okay. to create all these horcruxes i'm fairly sure she okay. said moaning myrtle was a person in an interview 
But that's messed up. Even if it did, I, I'm sorry. I would say that that would be messed up. Not, not, well, if I'm, she I'm, said it, it's not. <laughs> not out of spite, but I think that's that's just condensing everything. That's like saying, okay, I wrote it in the book because that's when it was. That's like saying that nothing that didn't happen in the book didn't happen, which is unrealistic in a way. It, it, it's, it's sort of unrealistic to say that she chronicled all of the important events in Voldemort's life already in the past. That I don't know that that would make her an expert author as much as it would sort of... It, it seems like things were, were, were sort of being pushed in and saying, this was this and also that, and by the way, you, you know, all that, all that sort of stuff. It gets a little bit confused and cramped, I think, um, to say that Moaning Myrtle not only was the girl who died 50 years ago to serve Book Two's plot, um, but that the entrance is a chamber of secrets, that she uh, died by this and yeah. was being, well, you know... I, I think Wikipedia here... I'm not saying it's impossible. No, Wikipedia here is saying that she was used to create the diary Horcrux. Now, whether that... There's no evidence saying that J.K. Rowling said that. There's no link to an article or I, something like that. I'm looking at that, too. Um, yeah, let's uh, look at that really quick and then correct ourselves if um, we were wrong. But that's that what Wikipedia really says. Don't, don't, no, don't believe Wikipedia. I mean, that's the first time I've ever said it in my life. Because I'm I'm writing an essay right now, and they tell you Wikipedia is not a credible source. Yes, um, this is I, was, exact- I was right. Um, during her little web chat with Bloomsbury, um, Lady Bella asked, Whose murders did Voldemort use to create each of the Horcruxes? J.K. Rowling's response, The Diary, Moaning Myrtle, The Cup, Elizabeth Smith, The Previous Owner, The Locket, A Muggle Tramp, uh, Nagini, Bertha Jorkins, The Diendum, Diendum, I can't Diadem, Diadem, um, an Albanian pre- peasant, the Ring Tom Riddle Senior. Okay. Oh wait um, a second! So much Harry. for killing meaningful people, the tramp and the peasant. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't about on. killing meaningful people. It was about meaningful, significant deaths. Oh yeah, that's the same thing. <laughs> Oh gosh! Well, I guess maybe okay, the um, item has to be significant, not the person that they. I I don't killed. know, man. You you got a you got JK, you got Joe, man. You got her. She she was she was grasping for straws. She wasn't ready for that question. <laughs> yeah, actually, I agree. Maybe we can ask her that again. Laura asked the same question. Um, no, See I'm not going to ask her the same question. I'm pretty sure she knows what she was doing. Um, so let's move on to the next voicemail. Sure. Hey, Muggle this is Julianne from Andover. I was going to say I love the show, and I had a question about Deathly Hallows, um, about how the potion basin refills itself. Because in Chapter 10, Creature says that when he goes to the lake with Voldemort, Voldemort uh, makes him drink the potion, and then he has to refill the basin. But who refills it when he goes with Regulus? Because Regulus obviously isn't in a state to do that. Anyways, just wondering what your thoughts were on that. Um, I love listening to the show. Thanks for your time. Bye. It's like a screen save. You know, after question. five minutes of inactivity, it goes back. <laughs> that is very interesting. Because it, the I was actually just reading that, and it did specifically say that Voldemort had to refill it the first oh, time. Crap. Hmm. My My inclination would be that there were instructions. I would say that J.K. Rowling initially intended to write it so that either Creature or Regulus refilled it because he did not want to leave it so that Voldemort would have an inclination that something was wrong. But I would guess that she, either through editing or, you know, by mistake, left out that. 
No, who refilled it though after Dumbledore drank it? Because does in the scene where Voldemort goes to the cave, doesn't he have to? Oh, isn't it there again? Oh, you're right. I don't know. I, I maybe think... she intended for it to actually refill itself. Yeah, that's what I thought. And there was like just... I mean, like I mean, you can drink it; it doesn't refill itself immediately. Like the only thing that can affect it is if you drink it. But we're talking like you know, an hour or two hours yeah, something like that after you don't drink it. It just seems refill. strange that Voldemort would refill it, though. Yeah, like so I'm there's come there. Back here and refill I would say it's he like never an expected. Incon- I would say it's one of those small inconsistencies that were le- left yeah. open. You should ask that, Laura. Yeah, but I'm not going to ask her about an inconsistency. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, like a, a technicality type just so thing where she, she can, can just go. So you can nitpick yeah. everything she does. Just, yeah. yeah, so that yeah. she can glare at me it's and like, be like. You've only written over five, six thousand pages, you know. She, 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 Why yeah, did she you make glare. This one mistake? In- <laughs> Laura, yeah, 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 honestly. No, Kevin's got it. She wouldn't glare, though. She'd smile. Her big JKR smile. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because she respects people. But the um, the, the thing I like is that all this scene in the green phosphor, phosphorescent goo is all going to be a set as opposed to CGI. Well, I mean, I don't know about the goo, but... Um, that's the other thing. They didn't say it in the interview, but the cave is going to be a set as opposed to, you know, just sort of a CGI blue screen type thing. I wonder if they're putting in a cool. real cave. I think that would be cool. Or real that actors awesome. to play the corpses. That would be awesome. So that we get like a bunch of guys in scuba gear in like the set picks, and that would be awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, that a pretty sharp eye there. Good job. Um, next one. Hey there, Mel um, this is This is Dal26 in the UK. I was trying to call for to get to food to the uh, Mugglecast live, but unfortunately it seems I've been unsuccessful. Um, well, my question for you guys is, how do you feel about how Slytherin comes out at the end of the book? Um, personally, I was hoping they would come up maybe to have a little bit good in them, but I guess other than um, one or two things that we see during the fight, it sort of leaves us with the idea that Slytherin equals evil. So what do you guys think about that? Okay, bye. I don't think that she left it with the idea that the house itself was evil. I think she was talking about the people who had sort of given it that reputation. I think so, too, and yeah. I, yeah, I think that by the time Harry's children go to Hogwarts, those people aren't necessarily there anymore. Because if you think about it, anybody who would still ardently support Voldemort at that point would not be going to Hogwarts. <laughs> they would be going somewhere where they could learn dark magic. So you couldn't support Lord Voldemort. Yeah, anymore. it's like anybody anybody who still wanted to operate under the very flawed theories that he had could not go to. And you also, at that he, point. You, <laughs> yeah. you also have to remember that uh, that the Gryffindors had somewhat of an advantage over the Slytherins when choosing to stay because of their involvement with Dumbledore's army and stuff like that. Like, all the other houses, I should say, had an advantage over Slytherins. And I think that she... It would be difficult to write in that kind of sub-story, given that she would also have to convince people that the person was very willing to stay. You know what I mean? Because yeah, that's a good point. For, if you think of that situation, if you're not involved with anything regarding Voldemort and the Dumbledore's army and stuff like that, why would you stay? Yeah, your, that's true. your parents are telling you, you you have to get out of there. 
Well, look, dude, you could have just a regular liking for Hogwarts. I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying there are yeah, probably but, other people. But there's, but our expectations of a kid at that age are pretty high oh, because true. we're basing them <laughs> on Dumbledore's army and Harry yeah. Potter. But if you're well, I mean, a normal kid, given the life or death situation that's you know presenting, if your parents tell you to get out of there, you're going to get out of there. Well, maybe though. I mean, there were. I mean, again, Gryffindors, of course, because that's the only people we've heard from. There were people sort of contesting their parents' wishes and saying that, well, you know, isn't doesn't the whole world really believe that Hogwarts is a safe place? But then again, even saying that Hogwarts wasn't really a safe place the entire seven years, and Sirius Black got in, and everything else happened, and yeah, so I wouldn't really. Sorry, um, re- refrain from comment. I have a question though about. Um the end scene talking about Slytherin. It's something that always confused me, and maybe it was the wording um, surrounding Slughorn. Because, and I'm sure somebody sent something in about this, but it almost seemed like the way that the, whoever he was in the scene with, it seemed like he was fighting against whether it was Bill or Charlie, I can't remember, but the way that the scene was worded, and I didn't know if that was supposed to mean that he was secretly a Death Eater, or what the deal was. Do you guys know what I'm talking about, or am I going to have to mm, get the I book? I can't say I do. I can't say it's, I do either. I just think it's so depressing, really. Um, not just how little of Hogwarts we saw, but Slughorn was kind of a good character in, in Book 6, and, I mean, not a good, but a, a thorough character. And I mean, it's very much established to be discarded in a, in a certain way, and that's, you know, life. You've got to get on with it. Um but but I just I wish you know Slughorn was just I, I'm sorry it was just a too too quick a departure you know what I'm saying like I didn't I didn't misread that scene I wasn't quite sure what was going on with Slughorn but um, I think do you guys remember was it was it Slughorn who helped chase Snape out because because wasn't Snape there was a scene with Snape and he ran into McGonagall and a few others. And he sort of ran out, and then they chased after him, firing off spells or something silly like that. Like, do you guys remember that? Like, wasn't? Hang on, let me check a, it really quick. There was a yeah. There's definitely a scene where he sort of met them, like either the heads of houses or something, and he, he met with them and then ran off. Well, it always what something else that kind of was in the back of my mind was in the first chapter. There's a man that's described similar to Slughorn at the table, but Joe never says exactly what his name is. Hold on, I'm looking to see here. But, I mean, it says later in this chapter that Voldemort was dueling with McGonagall, Slughorn, and Kingsley, but... I don't know, it was just a really weird the way it was phrased. I, I see, I, I'd like to see, like, a play-by-play, I mean, just, just, like, generally, like, I wonder if she said there were, like, chess pieces or figurines. The action figures, of course. The, the WB action figures, and she, she, she uh, grabbed the action figures and play them out in the I battle. I, 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 I was just thinking, you know, how does JKR plan this stuff, like... Yeah, I don't see Now I know why it was confusing. <clears throat> because it says Charlie Weasley overtaking Horace Slughorn, but it was referring to the people running up the steps, not battling oh. each other. So that was a. Uh, because I had seen a couple of rebuttals about that, but very oh, so uh, overtaking poor this, wording. Yeah. Poor wording. Ooh, yeah. that's harsh. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. That's that's that's. If I would have misread that, I would have had something else to complain about. <sighs> <laughs> All right, are like, we ready like for the next that. one? Yep. Hey, Michael Cass. 
I was just saying that you keep referring to the singer on Harry's neck on the cover of the U.S. edition of Deathly House as the locket, but I think it's actually the most pouch that Haggard gives him because he doesn't even have a locket at that point. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, I think that that's completely right. I'm positive, in fact, that it was the pouch. I don't see why it would be anything else. Hi, guys. This is Summer, and I have a, um, a theory on how I think that they're going to find out that Snape is good or bad, and why can't they look at Dumbledore's conceive? If he figured that people would think he was evil after killing him, then maybe he'd have left some kind of well, will or something like that, which it said, you know, go look at the conceive. And he could have, you know, he, he could have left a memory of when he was discussing it with Snape. And wouldn't that just be brilliant? Like, I don't know. I mean, and can you look at a dead person's conceive? I don't, I, like, I, I kind of want to hear you guys' thoughts about that. So, anyway, a great show. I love listening whenever I'm driving to and from home to work. So, anyway, uh no, no, no. There's no need to do an external thing about the will because Dumbledore, at the time of his death, wouldn't know how things would turn out. Maybe Snape would actually live. Well, I don't want to say live, but just in the end, I mean, Harry l- l- was obviously grateful enough to Snape to name his kid after him in a way that that I, I'm pretty sure that that Harry would would have cleared Snape's and name think, you know, among the list of things to do. I think she when, said that when in you an interview as well. Yeah, in that chat. Yeah, yeah. Um, she, she said, said something. Beyond everyone knows what he did. So she felt that Harry would have let people know um, exactly what Snape did, or something along those lines. I don't remember word for word what she said, but suffice it to say that everyone knows. Yeah, I think it would turn out exactly like it did with Sirius, where Fudge admitted at the beginning of the sixth book that his name was cleared, and it was out in the open now. <laughs> yeah. so. Turns out he was innocent too and uh yeah turns out this and that um uh what was oh yeah the beginning of the sixth book had the muggle you know that great sort of muggle thing what did the muggle uh world have to do with book seven as far as um it affected because she did a quite good i mean a quite massive portrayal of the whole wizarding world being affected um, but it just seemed like it never quite made it to the whole muggle world. Oh, thing. I think it did. Um, I think that was the point of the first chapter of Half-Blood Prince. There were all these tragedies going on during that week that the Prime Minister was talking about. Yeah, but about. people never knew. The whole wizarding world wasn't exposed, otherwise there would be something about it in Book Well, no, seven. they weren't exposed. But it still did affect I'm the muggles. Oh, it affected them. I'm, I'm saying, though, how did it? How did Book 7, how did any of the events in Book 7, when the whole wizarding world is being corrupt and they're going after purebloods and muggleborns, there, it, it sort of wasn't touched on the, the muggle aspect of how many, you know, what are muggles seeing, that there's just obviously anything muggles saw would not have been, you know, covered up anymore as a result of a, of a fallen ministry or, you know, everybody else was Death Eaters inhabited and running for their own lives and stuff like that. I just don't remember reading anything about the muggles themselves, of muggles, if that was at all important. You know, those those non-wizard yeah. folk? I don't know. I mean, I think that they were definitely affected, but I think there was also a lot to cover in Book 7. Hey, Mugglecasters, this is Henry uh, from New York. I was just calling to see what you guys think about my theory that I think Quirrell might be a 
Crow might have been a Horcrux, because Voldemort had latched onto the back of his head, so, so he sort of, in, so I guess he sort of encased his soul inside of Coral, so Coral might have been maybe like a temporary Horcrux, and so I was just wondering what you guys think about that theory. Alright, thanks, bye. Uh, no. No, no. Be because no, you have to remember no, that no. that that piece of Voldemort's soul was Voldemort. It was not a, like, piece, as it were. It was what was remaining after he <laughs> cut pieces off. So it was Voldemort, and therefore it could right. not have been considered a horcrux. Right. Although I do see where you're coming from on yeah, that, because it, it, right. does, it does have somewhat of like the same concept. Like if a horcrux concept. is a piece yeah. of soul. Voldemort yeah. seems to like to and latch himself onto and into things. He's a very parasitic, very, you know, sort of... Hmm. Which is interesting, because the whole isn't the whole thing that Voldemort needs no one, and yet he exists in the book so much as, as parasites, yet he needs no friends, you know, sort of operates alone, yet clearly he doesn't. That's yeah. brilliant. Awesome. That's, that's brilliant. Hey, guys. I'm, this is Kelsey from California. I was just wondering... What you thought about the theory that the cat mentioned in Lily's letter to Sirius is actually Crookshanks. It would time out relatively well because the shop owner where Hermione bought Crookshanks said that he'd been there for a while. I just wanted to know what you guys thought. Thanks. Um, I like this, but I don't. Yeah, it would be a really cool connection. But at the same time, I, I don't know. I just feel like that if that were the case, Joe would have said something in the book. I don't know. Joe. She would have. And Laura. Hmm. That's your question for Joe. I, I mean, <laughs> I think we keep suggesting all the questions. Micah, 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 get your own ticket. Get get a, get a guy named Micah to give you a ticket. No, no, Micah. no, Cause, no, no. There's no. a guy hold named on, Micah somewhere um, who has a ticket. But I'll give evidence to support it. You look at how well in Prisoner of Azkaban, Crookshanks gets along with Sirius. Could that be a relationship that was developed previously? Oh yeah, that's a good point. That's um, true too. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. There you go. But why give, wouldn't Sirius have ever little... said anything? Like, oh, by the way, Harry, that's your cat. Uh, because, because, big. Oh, I know why. I know why. Because if he did, that would be not necessarily a father figure for Harry, but it would have to go. <laughs> because, see, see, Hedwig had to go <laughs> under some kind of stupid logic. Okay? Oh, I don't, I don't want to call it stupid logic. It, it, Hedwig went. <laughs> that's, Hedwig went with a big bang. And, um, I'm entertaining myself here, uh, but but yeah, if she introduced Cro Crookshanks as a member well, of the family, no, and you want me to add more to it, it will also explain the, why the cat always chased after Scabbers. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, Aww. yeah, that that could have also been. A, I mean, that was already explained though. That that was already explained though about the, the you know that Neasles if if Crookshanks is a Neasle as a, well as opposed to a regular household cat and that was confirmed um, that they just they're very suspicious of Animagus and not trustworthy of you know hey, I'm just Crookshanks I'm just trying to support the voicemail here and give it a yeah, little bit of credibility. Micah, he does have a good point because Sirius said that he got Crookshanks to trust him when he was in dog form. So I doubt. I mean, I'm sure that he encouraged Crookshanks to try and kill scabbers yeah crookshanks really doesn't like ron does he because doesn't at one point he just jumps on yeah. him or something and hurts his 
Oh, yeah, well, he jumps on his face to begin with. I mean, I don't know what the Weasleys ever did to upset the Potters, but I'd like to read about that. Laura, that's your question. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Why does Crookshanks have it in for Ron? Laura. Yeah. yeah, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, choose wisely. Do a poll. Okay, we'll sure. do a poll. Hi, Mubblecast. I got questions for you. Um, I'm just listening to the August 12th podcast uh, live show, and you guys started complaining about the absence of Inferior and Deathly Hallows. And I have to say, I agree with you, because I was expecting to see zombies all over the place, but the only Inferior we saw was the fake Dumbledore Inferior at Grimald Place. But more frustratingly to that, no, than that, to me, is the complete absence of um, nonverbal spells. I, you know, it's... And that's the main plot point of book six, you know, and especially like the big Snape uh, Harry fight at the end of the book where you just keep shutting them down, you know, blocked again and again, Potter, so you learn to shut your mouth, you know, stuff like that. And there was nothing about nonverbal spells and Deathly Hallows. Can you answer me why that is? Thanks. <sighs> it's just so much in her world, and I, she just couldn't keep up with it in the end. So you roll a snowball, and it gets so big and so big and so big, but you do, you do what you can. But yeah, you're right. I would have liked to see nonverbal spells. But that's the thing. Harry couldn't really... Harry didn't return for his seventh year at Hogwarts, so he couldn't really learn them. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can assume that in the by the epilogue he knew them. Or, you know, at least if he had you know revolutionized the ministry, he was pretty well off with uh, spells. But uh, in the current context of the story, nonverbal spells didn't really... Like, I mean, let's face it. The only thing he had to do to destroy a Horcrux was, well, stick a... I don't want to say stick a sword in it, but you think of how Hermione got the information on the Horcrux books. Come on, Accio Horcrux books? And they flew out of Dumbledore's window? Come on! That's not even a nonverbal spell! It's just, I, I think, I think Joe No, I don't think so. I, I, that, that's the only, that's the only answer. Accio Horcrux books? No, I don't on. think that's it. I think I that, I think part of this, and not to state the obvious here, but I think we and people who enjoy listening to shows and spending time on message boards look a lot further into these things than the average reader and then what Joe would expect. Like, but do you remember, remember after or whenever we all finished the book and we were ranting about um, how the U.S. book cover was extremely misleading because Harry and Voldemort both had their hands up in the air and we were like, yes, they're doing wandless magic. <sighs> and wandless magic, yeah. Yeah, that it You're didn't right. end up happening at all. Um, so does, I guess the question is then, does verbal spells have anything, are nonverbal spells that important or were they just another thing to teach during the lessons such as Grindy Lowe's and DADA? Well, you know, that you also have thing. to consider um, it might have been something that Joe was throwing into kind of lead us off the scent because she didn't necessarily want us to be able to guess right off the bat how Harry was going to kill Voldemort. So by throwing the nonverbal spells on the table, that kind of gave us a theory to play with while she actually had this whole story of the Elder Wand to kind of throw at us and be like, hi, guess what? You were wrong. Yeah, yeah. hey, Expelliarmus. Uh, hey, you're probably over. right. I mean, just the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to black, just like um, Sopranos. That's what they're and I didn't really get to talk it. to you guys much about this, but did you feel that that was a sufficient ending? I mean... What? The Elder Wand? No, no, the whole... Well, he, he defeated yeah. Voldemort with I mean, Expelliarmus. I, I like that. I thought it's it was because, awesome. Because it, oh, that was... Wait, let me guess, let me guess. You guys think... You guys think that it shows no, Harry's it, innocence and it purity? Was because it, he didn't have to no, it was because it was curse? his or? spell. Like, that's what... That, 
Exactly. Oh, and he finished move. Voldemort with a spell that you would think would be harmless, and yet... So it's further insulting to Voldemort. I think Voldemort's character took enough hits in this book being so stupid, making so <laughs> many stupid mistakes. <laughs> the book was not stupid, Eric. It was brilliant. No, 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 no. Voldemort uh, okay. was. Okay. I'm it's saying Voldemort. Be like, um, no. No, no, no. no. I, I said Voldemort. And Andrew, please make sure that makes sense. I meant Voldemort is the one who makes all the stupid... Voldemort's character took enough hits in this book by making so many stupid mistakes. Um, things just not following through with the whole... I mean, if you're going to have a plan, do it right. And Voldemort just didn't. It was flawed in many, 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 many ways. And it just occurred to me that I really like the term muggle male. It's supposed I'm to glad, Eric. That just hit me right yeah, now. Yeah, I think a lot okay. of it goes back to Voldemort being so powerful that he doesn't consider anything simplistic. Like Hermione was saying that Voldemort would never consider the power of a house elf. Therefore Dobby, or not Dobby, Creature was able to disapparate from the cave. But that's a stretch. That, that's, that alone is a stretch, I think, to say that Voldemort, oh, you know, wouldn't consider anything, you know, but uh, maybe he doesn't even learn from his mistakes. Some people just don't. But uh, overall, the majority of mistakes and just not I mean, it's one thing not to know anything, but I, I thought that Voldemort made a lot of just stupid or, or character you know, misjudgments that I, that I wouldn't have particularly expected from him, given the setup in book six. Um, so, I, you know, I was, he, he was a well-studied student. He, you know, he's either intelligent or not. He, he, he found the Chamber of Secrets, which no one had done, even teachers, you know, searching and searching and searching and searching. And obviously, he was a parcel tongue, so that assisted him. He could walk around the walls saying, open, 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 and parcel tongue, until something happened. Yeah, that, you know, that could be a benefit. But, you know, Tom Riddle was either a, one of the most brilliant minds of his age, or or he wasn't. Yeah, but... You know, Joe can't seem but, to... Right, but... Decide, yeah, but then but again, tainished with a high Just half because soul. you're intelligent you know. does not mean you're ignorant. And you're allowed to make mistakes, he, and Voldemort he, can be ignorant, but he was I don't too think ignorant, so. in my opinion. He was blinded no, by think, his power. Yeah. He was fully ignorant. Uh, it's like you think about people say, who though. are so intelligent that they lack common sense. Because it they it's true. There are people like that. And if you remember in the first book, whenever Harry and Hermione were in Snape's potion chamber before they got to the stone, Hermione said some of the greatest wizards out there haven't got an ounce of logic and they would be stuck in here forever. And that's a good quote. Okay, so let me ask the question then without arguing with any you know fundamental principles, which is against the law of philosophy. I, I, I have a philosophy course too, by the way. I love it. Um, but do you guys think that you would have preferred if Voldemort were um, ignorant as he was in book seven? I call it stupid or, or ignorant and both, which he was. Or, or would you have preferred if, if if Voldemort were sort of the ultimate villain in that he had thought of everything? Would, would you have preferred a really, truly sort of intellectual match against, you know, match of minds, duel of intelligent powers as opposed to what I would call cop-outs, only, only much more fairly the sort of um, luck or, or sort of weaning out of situations that Harry did throughout throughout the whole book series. Would you, you know, and, and oh, I'm going to count on Voldemort's forgetting this because I only know Expelliarmus. But Harry you know, didn't count on Voldemort would forgetting prefer- it. He was terrified throughout the whole book. Well, he was terrified. Well, good, good for Harry, but Voldemort still did forget a lot of stuff or was very ignorant and that was, that allowed to his downfall. I think it, it would have been much... 
But that's the whole point of the story. The point of the story is that well, I, I that, that Voldemort's not a compelling that, villain. I mean, he killed so many people. No, that he was compelling because he was so powerful and he could have easily won. And yet he decided he was so ignorant about his power that I'm, he I lost. suppose I'm trying to figure out again why the the whole Hitler allegory was was was. I mean, you know, she she sort of said uh, there was a line by Dumbledore in Book Six about. Dumbledore, you know, sort of, um, you know, uh, dictators everywhere create their own enemies, sort of thing, uh, and they always fear for their lives. And and and, and it was just, um, I'm just trying to think where she was reaching because I think, I, I mean, Hitler wasn't necessarily a, a intelligent in a way. I mean, I don't want to say that because I haven't studied the period enough. But I, I'm saying I just think it would have been, I would probably go on to a book where I want to read sort of a really compelling villain like like uh, arch nemesis, you know, sort of sort of really um and and not have the hero you know the hero really have to duel it out i mean i I know it took it out of harry i i just i'm trying to think why i'm not so sympathetic about it i I thought um and yeah there's definitely comparisons with voldemort um i thought grindelwald was more of a comparison to hitler um in my opinion because you look at his symbol you look at his uh you know similar mentality to voldemort in the treating of certain types of witches and wizards and then also where he is at the end of uh, of the story you know he's in that prison uh, which has a very similar name I forget the name of it um, but it has a very similar name to a concentration camp um, that from World War two yeah that's so something to do with I always yeah. uh, I always drew more of a comparison between Grindelwald and Hitler as opposed to Voldemort but there you can, I think you can go uh, with either of them yeah, I remember Joe. Someone did ask her that in an interview a few years ago, and I don't remember specifically what she said, but she did say that she wasn't basing Voldemort on anyone in particular, like Hitler. I'm sure that there was definitely some influence there, but I don't think that she was trying to base any of these bad guys in particular on the story of Hitler or Mussolini or any of these other terrible And Grindelwald terrible men. was a little bit more timely to the World War II um, time of events. Well, yeah, 1945. Well, that was the whole thing. People really thought, you know, in the first book when she said that in the in the wizard card, people were like, you know what, that's just the World War II Joe's, Joe's tie-in, you, you know, to the, to the whole World War II thing. And turned out we didn't, I mean, I guess we didn't, we found out what we needed to about Grindelwald. Um, and Crum, I mean, obviously was compelling because Crum was so mad at Xenophilius Lovegood because he's like, you know, Grind- Grindelwald graffitied that at my school and it's a horrible symbol and I'm going to go beat Zeno, that X guy up, you know, sort of, sort of thing. So, I mean, Grindelwald was obviously pretty tough and pretty scary and Dumbledore almost followed him. And that was, you know, that I mean, that's double. Yeah, I mean, he's in the prison here called Nuremberg. I mean, that reminds me of Nuremberg. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I think that's where she was kind of going with that. But I'll leave it alone because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just too many questions to ask, J.K. You're right. I'll ask we her about that too. You okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Laura, okay, cool. I found the solution. Take all the all the questions. Once the transcript is out, do we still do transcripts, Micah? <laughs> Once the transcript's out, just do it in one really long sentence, <laughs> and and just and just have her sit there and just do it in one really long sentence. That'd be awesome. Wow. 
they won't choose it. They won't choose it because it'll be pre-screened. But um, you don't actually have to ask what's pre-screened. Oh, I don't want to give you ideas. But um, wow, yeah. somehow just one run on one run on. Somehow question. we got from nonverbal spells to correlations between World War Two and Grindelwald. We need to make a flowchart. So we can understand how we end up arriving at these conclusions. How do we get from that to that? I think it would have largely something to so do with true. me. Probably. No, but it's not a bad know. thing. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Unless anybody has anything else to say. Oh, no, that's cool. Yes, no. For this time? For this time in this place? Okay, I'm going to take that as a no. We are moving on to chicken universe. soup. This one comes from Chelsea, and she lives in Snellville, Georgia, which is actually not far from where I used to live. Uh, she says, Hi, MuggleCast. I just wanted to share chicken soup with you guys. November of 2005, my uncle and godfather were diagnosed with multiple myeloma, a cancer that attacks the blood marrow. My uncle and his wife and daughter live 45 minutes away in Alpharetta. In the past 20 months, as he got sicker and sicker, we would make the long drive down the interstate to go visit with him. He went through three rounds of chemo and a stem cell transplant, both unsuccessful. On July 10th, he passed away. It was somewhat of a relief to our whole family that he was no longer in pain. But I just thought that I'd let you guys know that through the dozens of car rides to Alpharetta, I found solace in listening to MuggleCast. Hearing you guys joke around and debate theories kept my mind off my uncle, and I thank you for that. Wow. Um, well, I, you know, I just can't get it across enough that I really love that the show is able to make people laugh and make them happy during hard times in their lives. Yeah. It really makes me happy to hear that. We, yeah, we, we don't know. People. See, like we the pause people. that we had after you read that, it wasn't because you know we just don't know what to say when we hear those types of stories. That's what it is, I think. Yeah, it's yeah, but they're good. I mean, they they really are. They're compelling and empowering stories. Yeah, and uh, on on that note, I I kind of wish that we had a British joke. Yeah. Um, um, can we, we recycle one? Oh. Andrew, Andrew, because I bet you're missing Jamie already, so can you please uh, just cut in sort of... Did you just call me Andrew? No, I'm talking to Andrew. I'm, okay, no, I was no, 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 like... I'm actually no, talking to Andrew. Andrew. Why would you do no, that no, no, to no. me? Andrew, <laughs> can you cut in a previous joke? Hey, note, note to editor. That's, beep, beep, beep. that's pretty impressive you're talking to Andrew considering he's flying across the Atlantic. Right <laughs> uh, I do believe that wraps up this week's show. As always, you have several options when it comes to contacting us. If you live in the U.S., Dial one two one eight twenty magic. <laughs> hey. Oh, okay. Stop. It was the territory there. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> That's the only right. If you're living, if you're living in the UK, phone it at o two o eight one double four zero six double seven. Or if you're from down under, you can call us at zero two eight double o three five double six eight. You can also Skype the username MuggleCast and leave us a voicemail. Please try to keep your message under a minute and eliminate as much background noise as humanly possible. Andrew can't stress that enough. Um, if you'd like to email any of us individually, you can use our handy feedback form at mugglecast.com or just email each of us at our first name at staff.mugglenet.com. Uh, don't forget about the community outlets. Help me out, guys. It's MySpace, Facebook, Frapper. YouTube, Frapper, Last FM. Is that it? Facebook, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and um, dig so. the show at dig.com. Yes. Right as you got the podcast. And uh, I think that's it. But if for any reason contacting us electronically isn't your thing, you can also send parcel mail to the MuggleCast P.O. Box. That's P.O. Box 3151, coming Georgia, 30028. I'm Laura Thompson. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Kevin Steck. And I'm Mike Tannenbaum. 
we will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye. So, um, anyway, I was in the middle of telling a story. I'm sorry. Well, you were talking about the time change. It was area. a funny story. It was a funny story. I had a good story to tell about how I missed work because it was, and I was at like a bad place yesterday and the guy was like, oh, you know, the sunset's going to start late. There's going to be a time change. But I have no radio in my car and no cable TV, so I couldn't possibly know. And I was 40 Relevance minutes late to Harry Potter. Zero. Oh, relevance <laughs> to Harry Potter? Well, I went to work then, and I ended up uh, reading about reviews that I had written on the first seven Harry Potter books. Because we're doing product knowledge now, Borders.